Scripture reading will be 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 12 through 19. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say for you indeed give thanks well but the other is not edified i thank my god i speak with tongues more than you all yet in the church i would rather speak five words with my understanding that i may teach others also than ten thousand words in a tongue Good to see everybody this morning. Good to have visitors with us. We're glad that you're with us. You are our honored guest. Happy Father's Day as well. Good to have fathers here. Good to have the leadership. We're going to continue our series this morning. So this is not a Father's Day sermon, if you will. But it is one that continues on in a series that's very necessary. About two weeks ago was 50 days from Passover. And 50 days from Passover is Pentecost. And that's when the church was established. So Every year when we come around to June, I preach on the church and some matters regarding it, rather maybe organization, how it was established, uh, the qualities of the church. And this time we're doing a series through 1 Corinthians 14, three lessons about the, the church and, and about the assembly. So this morning we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 12 through 19, and Gary just read that for us. I think sometimes people read 1 Corinthians 14 and think, what is this useful for today? You look at the mention of prophecies, the speaking of different tongues, but it is the longest passage in Scripture about the assembly. And what's fascinating about this is some today say anything can go, anything can go in the assembly. And you can worship however you see fit. The Bible doesn't teach that. It says you are to worship the way which God sees for it and that the assembly has been put together and established by Christ in the way that he wants it to be. And there are blessings to the assembly. God has given it to us that when we gathered here on the first day of the week, on the Lord's day, that we are able to worship in spirit and truth and we are able to edify one another. The word edify means to build up. We want to build up in knowledge, in uh, consolation, in comfort, and encouragement. And this is what's going to be our study this morning. Now, last week we looked at the purpose of the assembly. Because of the purpose of the assembly is edification, now what? So we went through that study last week on how important it was that we be built up in knowledge, that our minds be engaged in our worship and not just the spirit, the, the, our hearts. And the problem here in Corinth is evidently some are making assembly into a talent show. Some are getting up before others and putting themselves over others. And they're, they're doing things in the assembly that God did not intend. He did not intend for us to come in the assembly and speak in foreign languages. And their gift back then, the Holy Spirit had given spiritual gifts so that some could go and speak in a foreign language. Well, why would God give that gift? Well, it was actually prophesied that this gift would take the gospel to the world. Makes sense, right? 
If you don't know someone's language and you're trying to give them the gospel, you got a big hindrance there. So God gives that gift to be able to spread the gospel throughout the world, and it happened in the first century. We need to thank God for that. And so as we've been reading in this, he says, you know what you need to do? He says, like the last verse that Garrett just read for us, Paul says, I'd rather speak five words with understanding. The word understanding is noia. It means your mind. Rather than 10,000 words in a foreign language that people do not understand. I believe this scripture here helps us today as we understand the, the purpose of the assembly, not just for worship, also for our edification, as God intends us to get something out of it, not our what we want to get, but what God wants us to get out of the assembly. We want to look at that this morning. So we look at now what we start to apply these principles. And this morning, we want to emphasize that when we worship, our spirit and our mind is a part of it. We also want to emphasize that there are some things that don't belong in the assembly. Even if God gives it to you, God gives you the ability to bake great cakes. Should it be done here in the assembly? God gives you the ability to be able to um, make 95% of your your three-point shots. Should we be putting up goals here in the assembly and showing off, well, God gave me this talent. Let me show you how I'm going to do it. A lot of churches have turned in the talent shows. A lot of times it's, it's focused around art or drama or something like that. The Bible teaches the assembly is for edification. When you come in here, you need to bring your heart and your mind. Both of them is what's needed. We're going to look at that this morning. We need faith and devotion. When the church was established in Acts chapter 2, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. What are we doing this morning? We are devoted and committed to being here in the assembly. We're going to fellowship with one another. We're going to do as Hebrews 10 and verse 24 says, The assembly is for to stir one another to love and good works. That's why we're here. Uh, we need to have that focus. Uh, we may, might want to make sure that we're reading our Bible, preparing for that throughout the week. We get enough sleep on Saturday night so we can be here and be completely devoted, devoted throughout the week to the gospel, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, and to the prayers. And later on, it says that though we'll continue to be praising God, you see the worship and their unity there. And you see the assembly implied. Look in Acts 5 and verse 42. He says, every day in the temple, this is how much fellowship they had. Every day and in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Christians need to get from the assembly what edification God wants us to get. That's what we're looking at here. I want to note this because I'm going to back up some of the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 7, you have the one of the only few references to musical instruments in the New Testament. And I think there's a lot we can gain from 1 Corinthians 14 about what does not belong in the assembly. In the churches of Christ, we sing a cappella. A cappella means in Latin, of the chapel. How did it come about that you describe the church and the chapel as being singing without instruments? Because today, most churches sing with them. They don't sing of the chapel. It's because most of church history, there were no instruments. I'm getting ahead of myself, but from the first century down to the 14th century, then the Catholic church introduced musical instruments. You're talking about 1,400 years of only singing in church. And when the Catholic Church introduced the musical instruments about 150 years later, you've got a movement called the Reformation. People saying, let's go back to the Bible. 
You had people in throughout France and England pulling out organs and whatever instruments they had out of their churches and burning them and destroying them because that was not a part of the worship that God wanted. And today, I believe we need to have a similar conviction. Their conviction wasn't so much against the instrument. I mean, you could, you could play the instrument at home. But in the assembly, it was not a part of worship. It was not a part of the assembly. I want you to notice this. You got your Bible. Look in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 7. And Paul says there, he mentions the instrument. He says, how can you tell an instrument apart from another unless it makes distinction in sounds? And he applies that to speaking in the church. When you speak, it needs to consist of words. It's got to consist of words. And I'm going to come back to that anyway. So I'm going to come back to this part. He says the instruments are lifeless. I want to key on that word because it's not a positive statement about an instrument. Someone could argue, well, if you blow into a pipe, it has breath in it. You know, you, you might want to argue that way if someone wants to. But the Bible teaches that the musical instruments are lifeless. The Greek word is asukia. It means there's no soul in them. They are soulless. And there's no mention there. Paul doesn't say, well, when you start to play them or use them in your assembly, none of that. In fact, he compares them to what doesn't belong in the assembly. He says, when you speak, it needs to have distinction of noise. If it doesn't, then it's just useless. It's like an instrument that makes no distinction. We see this. No Christians sang hymns with instruments in the Bible. Instruments have a purpose in distinction, and so does language. In other words, when we come in together, I need to be speaking right now words that you can understand. You don't need to be speaking in Latin or in any other language. And then the edification of the assembly is for speaking in intelligible words. When we sing, when we pray, when you get up and speak, it needs to be in intelligible words. Words that edify that comfort, that console. And the reason I say that is because the Bible says that. Look right here, 1 Corinthians 14, 7 through 9. Even if lifeless instruments, soulless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. Be speaking in the air. There's no purpose in it. And we need to make the same application today. I can't get up here and preach the gospel to you by playing an instrument or clapping my hands or stomping my feet. I can't pray a prayer to God by playing an instrument or clapping my hands. I can't sing. I can't praise God that way. There's no words. There's no intelligence behind it. There's no mind behind it. And therefore, spirit can't be around it really anyway. If you got your Bible, look with me as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, a little bit further. 1 Corinthians 14. Look at verses 1, 10 through 12. Here's our question. Are there actions that do not belong in the assembly? Or does anything go? Well, there are actions that don't belong in the assembly. Any action that's not edifying, any action that doesn't possess meaning. And someone might say, what about the Lord's Supper? Where are the words there? Of course, we, we say a prayer before each one, and we recognize what the meaning is that Christ has given meaning to it. So everything has meaning, and it's been expressed in God's Word. Listen to this, verses 10 through 12. This is what Paul says. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none without meaning. Notice this. He's talking about these tongues they're speaking. These are languages. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. 
So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. We have an objective and a purpose. Strive to build up the church. That's what the assembly is for. I hope you're listening this morning. I think this message is so huge. It's so important. And if you're not paying attention, I think you're going to miss a lot. And one day it's going to be called into question why we worship and how we do the assembly the way that we do. Where are you going to go? Look at these scriptures here. Consider what's being said. All right, so what is this? I want you to notice this. 1 Corinthians 14, 13 through 15. So some people have said the mention of singing psalms in the Bible or the verb form of singing a psalm is solo, that they have said, well, maybe this means to play an instrument. There's a big problem with that. The problem is, is that that word solo is used right here. And he tells them, do it with words. Do it with something that has meaning to it. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, Therefore one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Don't come in the assembly speaking another language when there's nobody there to interpret and you don't know if somebody's going to do it. Don't do it. He says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Some of them didn't even know what they were saying. They're speaking words that had no meaning. There have been churches that have done this who claim to have angelic tongues or spoken in Latin or some other language, and the congregation didn't understand it. And he says, don't do that. He says, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit, and I will sing with my mind also. Here's the thing. In churches today, we seem to either have one or the other, right? Sometimes a lot of people come together and they'll sing with spirit, but their mind has nothing to do with it. It's become entertainment. It's become something else. Something else is involved there. They've added things to the singing that God did not say to add. And this is what we see here. He says, when you pray and you pray fervently, pray with your mind, pray with words. That's what he's saying. When you sing, when you solo, when you make melody and with your lips and with your heart, do it with your spirit and do it with your mind. When we're here today and you sing songs, mean the words you're singing. They got to come from the heart and they need to go on your mind. And I can't overemphasize that enough. The Bible warns us against vain worship, meaningless worship, worship that's according to men's traditions. We want to be true. We want to worship with the spirit and the mind. So what is missing from our assemblies? Sometimes it's the spirit. Sometimes it's the mind. Sometimes it's both of them. We need to come here prepared and ready. This is what we see about New Testament music. And when we talk about music, some people describe us as the Church of Christ not having music. We have music. It's singing. It's God's music. It's the one that Christ commanded. We have it. Paul instructed singing and praying with spirit and the mind. And in the assembly, making melody with the mind, again, consists of words. Go back and read all that right there, 1 Corinthians 14, 9 through 15. See that I'm not making it up. Very encouraging thing is going on right now among many denominational churches. I always encourage to hear about one of these big denominational churches saying, baptism matters to us and it's essential. And I love to hear now that a lot of them are saying congregational singing is a priority and we're going to sing with one voice together without the instrument. I think that's wonderful. It takes the focus back onto the singing, onto the words, and not onto what people feel 
or what they think it sounds good. Here's another important thing we need to think about when it comes to singing. We want to sing with the spirit and the mind. It needs to be with one voice. One voice. Together we sing together. Our singing is about unity. And if you have your Bibles, look there in Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. Paul says, I want you to be united. How are you united? One of the most uniting things that we do in this assembly is we sing together. We sing with one voice, united. That's why we don't have solos or choirs or praise teams. The Bible speaks to the congregation. The picture of the Christians in, in the New Testament is they sing together, one voice. And as I mentioned before, most churches throughout history have only sung as a congregation. They sang words that had meaning. They sang without adding things to it. Someone today might say, well, what if we sang when we added the instrument? Wouldn't that, that wouldn't be taken away from it, would it? Well, listen to what Paul's saying here. He's saying, sing in intelligible words, but don't add on the tongues, the, the foreign languages. They don't have a place there unless they're being interpreted, unless they have some kind of meaning. So you can't make that argument either. I encourage you this morning, we want meaningful worship. God revealed that whatever is not intelligible in meaning, it's excluded from the assembly. We know it belongs in the assembly. The Bible tells us 1 Corinthians 11, the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 14, preaching, singing, and prayer, 1 Corinthians 16, the collection, all right there in 1 Corinthians. Now, we need to get away from any kind of meaningless noise and put our hearts and our minds back into the assembly. The New Testament does not describe anyone singing to God with instruments. And some have said, well, what about in Revelation? Weren't they using instruments there? There's a picture there, an image of incense being burned, and it says in Revelation 5 that it was the prayers of the saints. It was figurative. It says there that some of them were holding harps, but they didn't play the harps. They just sang. They were figurative. In fact, the only description you really have of the singing there, look at this, Revelation 14. It says the voice of the redeemed, is sound. their voices sounded like many waters, like loud thunder, and they sounded like harps. And yet when you read right after that, Every point in Revelation, they sang and words came forth. They're recorded there in the book of Revelation. Words. No playing. We want to look toward improving our singing. If singing lacks spirit and is not united, some people might say, is that the song leader's fault? Not really, not usually. We want to sing with him, speak with him, sing with one voice. We don't want to sing over each other. We don't want to sing for show. We sing together. Christians are to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. If something's missing from our assembly, this might be it as well. Are we speaking to one another? Are we praising God together? Sometimes our assemblies are not arranged perfectly. In the first century, when they gathered together to, to worship God, the earliest church buildings where the seatings went along the walls and around the back, and people were facing toward each other. And there was an opening place where someone could speak, get up and speak and read Scripture and speak to the congregation. But he says here to speak to one another in psalms and spiritual songs. And those congregations, when you look at those old church buildings, they were looking at one another. They were facing one another. They were singing together. I think we should think about that. Before we finish this morning, I consider some points from this passage. 1 Corinthians 14, 16 through 19. Here's the only reference in the Bible to someone saying something and an amen coming after it. Only reference. He says, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving 
when he does not know what you're saying. If you're going to say a prayer in the assembly, say it clearly where everybody understands it so that everyone can say amen. Amen means that is true. That is right. He says, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. They don't understand. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. He says, I can go and speak in other languages. Of course, that's what Paul did. He evangelized. He says, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Another way to put it today is, I would rather sing a song in just five words and play an instrument, 10,000 notes, not mean anything. Rather speak five words with my mind in a song or sermon or a prayer than try to do it in another language. This is how the assembly is done for edification with the spirit and the mind. First Corinthians again gives the only example of someone saying amen. And it's after that prayer right there. Prayers must be understandable with understandable words, just like singing. And a few understandable words are far greater than 10,000 words in another language. Before we finish this morning, I want to contrast this. Jesus spoke about true worship. Remember this? In John chapter 4, he talked to the woman at the well, and she asked him, tell me about worship. Should we worship on Mount Gerizim here on this mountain where the Samaritans worship, or should we go worship in Jerusalem where the Jews say we're supposed to worship? And Jesus says there's coming a time in true worship where it's not going to be there on that mountain, or is it going to be in Jerusalem? There's going to be a new worship, true worship. He's contrasting Old Testament worship with New Testament worship, with true worship. And the Bible throughout the Scriptures tell us about that. The worship of the Old Testament is a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. It's not the true reality. The Bible tells us that the Old Testament consisted of fleshly regulations. It wasn't spiritual. These were fleshly regulations until the time of the Reformation, and the time of the, when the gospel came. That old law was done away with. It's obsolete. Hebrews 8 and verse 13. It is no more for us. Even though David worshipped with instruments, we no longer did do that. In fact, when Jesus was saying about Jerusalem, how did the instruments in that worship get to Jerusalem? David brought them there. Yes, God gave him instruction, and he brought them into Jerusalem, and Jesus said, that's not going to be true worship. There's something else more. And we need to go to the New Testament and go to the words of Christ to find that. And we see that today. We see it in the Scriptures in 1 Corinthians 14. New Testament worship consists of Christians as a holy priesthood. That's what we are. We are priests, and we are offering sacrifices of praise and good works to God. It says that in 1 Peter 2 and verse 5 and 9 and Hebrews 13, 15 through 16, that our good deeds, here we are as a spiritual house, a temple of God. We are priests serving in that temple, and we are giving offerings. All that in the Old Testament were shadows and copies to show us what we should be looking for. Encourage this morning. How can Christians strive to excel in the edification of the church? Sing. Mean it. Let it come from your heart, from your mind. Think about the words that you're saying. I challenge you. Sing, pray, learn with your spirit and your mind. I also challenge you this morning from the scriptures we're looking at. Seek edification from words and meaning in the assembly. Don't go after other things. Don't go after the the show and the entertainment and the thoughts like that and the things that people want that are contrary to God's Word. I also challenge you this morning that faithful Christians are devoted. 
You can see your maturity as a Christian, whether you're devoted to the assembly and you're coming here. You can see maturity that you're growing when you're a part of Bible class and you're in study. You can see your maturity when you are loving and serving others. And if you're not doing those three things, assess yourself. I challenge you. Make a change this morning. This morning, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, do it. The gospel is the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. He died for and He gives you eternal life through His resurrection. And if you believe that He is the Lord and that He rose from the dead and you confess that with your mouth, Romans 10 and verse 9 says you'll be saved. Romans chapter 6 says that's not it, though. That's not everything. If you believe you're going to die in your sins, you're going to repent, you're going to be baptized, you're going to rise up to the newness of life with a hope of eternal life. In fact, Colossians 2.13 says when you're baptized and you rise up, all your sins are washed away. Every one of them. Every one of them. This morning you can have all your sins washed away. You can put away that guilt. Start a new life following Christ. If you need to do that, we encourage you to come. Whatever your needs may be, you need prayers. We encourage you to come right now while we stand and while we sing. Please come.